Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, so this is the good stuff. Yeah. The Laugh Podcast. I'm one of two co-hosts, the L Train. With me today is uh, Mr. Two Frames. How are you today, sir? Doing well. All right, so we both teach literature and film in a high school, or we have taught in the past. I'm planning on teaching it next year. What is one of your favorite genres? Westerns. Yeah, Westerns is my top five of all genres. Yeah. All right. What's another favorite genre of yours? Uh, superheroes. Yeah. And uh, this week, the two of us couldn't decide on which movies we wanted to see, so we decided to see two separate movies. You went to go see a superhero movie. I went to go see a Western movie. And we're going to compare and contrast those two films a little bit and give you some insight into those two films. But we're going to have individual reviews about two different movies, two separate titles within two separate genres. In preparation for the show, I tweeted out two articles, one by DJ Woldridge over at Trash Talk who wrote last year, I think, around this time, why superhero films are exactly like westerns. And then the other film, or the other article, was uh, by Jonathan Heath, or John Heath, and he does does a blog on Reddit. But he he printed out, or he he wrote uh, an article that says why superhero movies aren't at all like westerns. And he also says probably won't be the next great chapter in genre filmmaking. So my question to you is, which of these two guys is right? Do you think that the westerns and superhero movies have similarities that um, make them, you know, appropriate for comparison? For comparison. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the hero archetype, and the cowboy was the classic hero uh, through the 1800s, all the way probably up to 1950s, 1960s. The interest in the western kind of waned. Yeah, and then it was a resurgence in the 70s, and then in some in the 80s has been sporadic here. But, and but there. was the western was the cowboy a hero any longer? Well, one might say he was the first, he was the among the first antiheroes. Okay, so he evolved. Yeah, and that's that's one of the differences that um, Mr. Heath points to here, is that their Westerns are more flexible now. We have deconstructionist Westerns that are popular. and seems like, uh, I think, part of his argument is that superhero movies are all one note. They're he all is pretty wrong. much the same thing. Really? Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with that, though. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of variation on themes, with the exception of maybe Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, no, I think you have some smaller superhero movies that are uh, messing around. With Give me an example. Kick-Ass. Mm, all right, maybe. But uh, smaller that... films like The Rain Wilson, uh, was it Super? Last week you Nobody's had Boy heard Wonder. Of that. Nobody's okay, heard of that. Okay, but they're still Nobody's out seen there. Them. Yeah, but I mean, there's and also... And people are going to go see it because we recommended it. We're talking about popularity, though. I'm talking about like making an impact on popular culture. Well... As a genre, you can—I mean—you can always point at outliers. Yeah, but the guy who did Super later goes and does Guardians of the Galaxy. That helped get him the job. All right, arguably, arguably, one also might argue that Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't really fit into the mold of the superhero genre film, and it—it it, it, there's enough variation in it to make me think 
that I would agree. But I don't see how Ant-Man is going to be a whole lot different than Fantastic Four. Are you excited about next year's Deadpool coming out and being R-rated? Well, you got Deadpool and Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. which has more of an anti-hero, when in some cases an outright criminal element to it. And then I think I'm more driven to um, the actors that might be involved in those as opposed to the the characters. I don't know much about superheroes, you know, except as general pop culture. I mean, I'm not a comic book, big comic book fan. I think there's still a lot of material to mine out of uh, superheroes. And I don't think we've been doing superhero movies well, even for the one note that they supposedly are. I don't think we've really had a handle on that for much more than about five years. Well, okay. Now, what would you say is the resurgence in superhero films uh, as they currently stand? Uh, what was the beginning of it? Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy definitely helped. Uh, what kicked it off really was the first X-Men movie showing that you could do a fairly serious, grounded-in-reality film while still having heroes behave in a super fashion. Where did Spider-Man fit into that? Spider-Man comes about a year or so after uh, the first X-Men movie. But, I mean, both of those together did a lot to show that this uh, genre has legs and that the public will go out and pay a lot of money mm-hmm. because I mean, these movies have always been expensive to make. That's a, that's another feature that makes them distinguishable from Westerns. I don't know if, I mean, even the popular spaghetti Westerns were so called because they filmed them in Italy mm-hmm. and abroad to save on money. So that, I mean, they had B-level movie budgets, and budgets were very different in the 70s and 80s, but even even Westerns now, popular Westerns now, aren't really high-budget films, they're usually independent films. Yeah, it, it's very hard to get Hollywood to finance a Western. What was the last big-budget Western? Uh, Appaloosa, maybe? That wasn't now. Open they Range, I mean, I'm trying to think of Westerns that uh, have True been Grit, released. maybe, but even True that was sort of an independent thing. I bet you there hasn't been a Western budgeted at over $30 million, and that's probably at the top. I don't and know what True Grit was done for, but I mean, it was probably right about $30 million, yeah. so you're right with that. Uh, the problem is Westerns are also difficult because inherently they're going to be R-rated. It's okay. very hard to not do an R-rated Western. We've had this struggle in our class, trying to find more right. modern Westerns to show the kids. R-rated movies don't make as much at the box office. You really need a PG-13 movie, and for the most part, superhero movies have fit that perfectly. Where there's like a lot of um, violence that doesn't really matter. Yeah, no one, no one actually gets killed. No one actually gets hit by the bullets. You don't really ever have to address the fact that tall buildings are falling down and um, people are getting caught in the crowd. The collateral damage of movies, yeah, of, of superhero movies, is never dealt with. And that, I don't know... How much? What, what do you think is the is the uh, blood budget on all of the Marvel films put together? Oh, there's been next to no blood in those versus, movies versus uh, Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, no, I agree with your point. So the the blood budget is a big defining factor. This as a distinguishing characteristic. In terms of, like, a, a contrast. Well, blood is what gets you in trouble. That's what gets you the R rating. Right. If if you show too much, and some people have said that this they should put blood in these movies because people should see that there are consequences mm-hmm. and that characters do bleed. Yeah, but I don't think that the 
the studios that are responsible for putting the movies out are there's going to have to be a more organized push against it. if you're going to show violence then uh you need to show the what violence actually looks like cartoon Ooh. violence is sending the wrong message to children but one would say that the, the i mean that's the argument they were making all the way back in the you know the 30s and 40s or whatever right? oh yeah but there's i don't think whoever's going to lose that argument i don't think that the people that are wanting there to be more blood in superhero movies are going to win. Especially when you have ratings boards and things like that. So, the like Universal, Marvel Studios, Disney, whatever, Disney's brand is not going to allow for a whole bunch of violence and bloody violence anyway and sex. I agree, but that's a hallmark of PG-13 films. Is Is that inherent in the superhero movie and do you think that they would be better or worse without it or with it? If they showed blood? Yeah. I like when they get grittier. Uh, right now, DC comic books, they do quite a few uh, direct-to-DVD movies, and they do show blood. They do show characters dying more often. I like that gritty realism. They have more leeway because they can do those films for, I don't know, $10 million maybe is the animation budget. Yeah, so they're cheaper, and because they're cheaper, you have more range. I've talked about the Flash Paradox before. Mm -hmm. That made my top ten list uh, about two years ago. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Uh, I'm interested to see how Deadpool does next year. If that movie does well at the box office, I think we can see more R-rated superhero movies, and we're going to see more movement in the genre. If Christopher Nolan came in and said, I want to do a fourth Batman movie, and I want it to be R, yeah, but I don't think he Chris would Nolan... be allowed to do it. Chris Nolan doesn't even like making R-rated movies himself. He's and made he's a handful made two, over the years. Maybe. Yeah, I can only think of one offhand, and that was a studio push. For Memento? Insomnia. Maybe Memento might have been R, too. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying you need someone who's got the credibility to say, I want to do this, and who has the license to do it. Most of the directors being hired to do these Marvel movies, uh, these are some of their first films. They don't have a whole lot of credibility to do whatever they want. Uh, uh, Josh Wheaton, the guy who does the Avengers films, he did well with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he's been popular, but he's not been mainstream popular. He hasn't had another hit he outside of the Avengers. No, but he's he's all pop culture now. He's all. I mean, now the kid, the five years ago, kids. When I used to teach Serenity, mm -hmm. when I, st I didn't have the opportunity to teach it this year, when I first started teaching Serenity as part of the uh, sci-fi, nobody had heard of them, except for the few you know kids that were interested in Firefly. They'd never heard of Joss Whedon. They'd never seen this kind of filmmaking before. I'd say 90% of the kids would know or attach Joss Whedon to um, the Avengers now. Because Avengers is so popular. It's actually, we were talking earlier today about shared experiences and, yeah. uh, you know, our, our cultural understandings and our shared cultural identity. I might argue that the Avengers, to some extent Batman, um, are some of the few remaining icons that we can talk about in terms of uh, establishing a cultural, a, a common uh, cultural underpinning. To some extent, but do you think uh, Wheaton drives people to the box office? That some our students might. will go and watch whatever his next film is? Well, since he's all tied up in Marvel, then it's just a function of, you know, the title and the and the and the property. So I don't know if like if Joss Whedon did a standalone. Much ado about nothing. 
He did, in oh, the, yeah, he did seen, the Shakespeare no, play no, in between. I mean, that has its own inherent uh, drawbacks in terms of <laughs> trying to attract a teenage audience. But it got a lot of cultural, I mean, it got a lot of uh, intellectual um, credit, Yeah, a lot of critical acclaim. I, I don't know. I, I, don't I, know I think Marvel has been smart, and they're not letting anyone get bigger than the property. They're not making stars out of these people. There have been really no breakout star. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is probably the closest, and really what has he done outside of the Iron Man movies? And he was already a, a pretty big star before he started doing it. Well, the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Okay, yeah, Sherlock Holmes to some extent, yeah. Well, there's no question but that Avengers 2, The Age of Ultron, is successful. Oh, yeah, no, it's awesome. I think they have nailed doing superhero movies with this Huh. film okay I, I won't go into a lot of details but i'll just say it's great because you get to watch these heroes use their superpowers and they get to do it repeatedly and i would compare this to um, video games and oftentimes superhero movies are compared to video games you're saying they're live action whatever but where these movies have always failed in the past is in a video game, I can replay the same level again and again. If the character does a cool move in the game, I can do it multiple times. I don't just get to do it once. Okay. So in the Avengers, for example, Captain America likes to throw his shield and he'll bounce it off multiple guys. They don't do that gag once. They do it multiple times and they find a way to mix it up so it feels new and inventive each time. Mm-hmm. But you get to see them using their powers, being super time and time again. The uh, Avengers Age of Ultron is the sequel to Avengers. It's also the final movie in Phase 2 of these Marvel films. And it's supposed to be setting up the Avengers 3, Parts 1 and 2, coming in 2018 and 2019, respectively. Yeah, I can tell you're excited. Okay. Uh, Basically, in this film, Iron Man is able to create artificial intelligence. Hasn't he already done that? No, he he does it with the help of these stones that they've been gathering that have been scattered throughout the film. Oh, wait, what's Jarvis? Uh, Jarvis is a, a fairly smart AI, but this is more advanced. Oh, this is a better and, and, AI. Yeah, and he creates Ultron by accident. And Ultron is supposed I. to be saving the world, keeping a peaceful place. Instead, he decides to kill all the humans. That's another problem I have with superhero movies. <laughs> they always... I mean, this is a common fault, but they create their own problems. Yeah. Um, some people have had a problem because apparently Ant-Man's supposed to be the one that creates Ultron, but he hasn't had a movie yet, so it's Iron Man. I don't mind that. Uh, in general, I don't like films, superhero movies, where it's we have to save Earth. You know, I wish you could have smaller scale movies. Yes. Bravo there. I've said that a thousand times. A thousand times. And I agree. And and generally, I think this is a good point. But this is the Avengers. This is your A team. This is not one superhero, but all the superheroes coming together. And there are a lot of superheroes that make cameos in this film. I'm not going to give anything away on that. But this needs to be a large scale problem if everyone's coming out for this battle. In the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they say. How bad is this problem? Do we need to call the Avengers? And one of the people says, no, the B team can handle it. Okay. So I don't mind that this is for really large stakes. I think it's fun watching all these guys team up together. They do various combo moves. They play off of each other's strengths. There's a lot of action. And there's a lot of inventive action, a lot of stuff I haven't seen from these characters before. And I enjoy all the eye candy. Well, then that's a good reason for you to go see the show, to 
watch those Marvel movies, and okay. I just don't see any difference between it and every other Marvel movie that preceded it. I think this is the best one. In and terms of trying to get me to go see it, or wanting to go see it. If, I mean, to, to get me jazzed up. If it's not your bag, it's not your bag. I, I did see this in IMAX in 3D, uh, mainly because of just the showing time worked out best for my schedule. I do think the incredibly large screen helps the film a lot. It gives it that grandeur. Does the if 3D you, matter? I don't think the 3D matters. The 3D is well done in this film. Uh-huh. It doesn't call attention to itself. There aren't times where the image breaks apart. Uh, in some other movies where they haven't done the conversion well, a lot of times on the edges of the frame, mm. stuff doesn't line up. It doesn't fit well. Mm. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is all seamless. That's every 3D movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, when was the last time Nothing you saw a 3D up, movie? Uh, Avatar five, six years ago? Yeah, Avatar five, six years ago. Yeah. And before that, I saw um, Ghost the the Ghost Island in at the three D four D movie theater <laughs> at Bush Gardens. Yeah, no, the the haunted lighthouse. That was it. That was about ten years ago. Yeah, no, I, so it was I, good stuff. I think this movie did a good job. I'm very pleased with it. I thought it was funny. And most of your students that you've talked to seemed to like it, right? Yeah, they were actually surprised because I think some of your students had some. Um... One of my students was really enthusiastic in her negativity <laughs> and another kid was just sort of taken off or he was off put by a central plot line that I don't really want to spoil I don't know if it's a spoiler or not I suppose it might be but he seemed it was simply an odd romance film and uh, he didn't like that there were a lot of conflicts that he didn't feel were resolved that's from uh, listener and student uh Aaron K. All right. Uh, he had some more pointed criticisms, but they give away spoilers. Well, can I talk about his comment? Sure. Uh, and, and I'd like your feedback even on this. Since we know these Marvel films are part of a continuing saga and there's this long-term plan and the movies build off of each other, should all of the conflicts be resolved in a single film? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. These might be things that, I mean, I, I can't speak for them. I just think that maybe they were like hangnails in, to him, and they seem like maybe you can lead to a resolution that might make it better. I don't know. I don't know how he feels about movies in general, and I don't know if he wanted it all tidied okay. up. But, but That's fine. I, I, there were probably things that they could have talked about more. But yeah. All right. What's your other kid going right. to say? Carol M. was very, yes, she was vehement. She says that, and she really liked Marvel's The Avengers. She liked the first Avengers, or Avengers Assemble, as it's called overseas, in England anyway. She calls this the red-headed stepchild for the Marvel Universe, filled with a litany of subplots, subplots which never come to fruition. Desperate attempts at humor to account for various glaring instances of plot failure and mischaracterizations in any flavor you can think of all in all, a poorly executed try for substance wrapped in a token bow of sexism and dashed expectations. She was really looking forward to this movie. Sadly, she calls it a complete and utter cinematic atrocity, and she would not recommend it. Wow. That's Carol M. Yeah. That, that's full of, of uh, a lot of stuff. I don't <laughs> think I could begin to pull it all apart. No, and then that's just her opinion. I, I I think it's interesting though that she was she was excited about it. She went, you know, as part of a, I think part of an extended birthday for her, 
for herself and she kind of likes she liked Joss Whedon but she might be in the group of people that have led to him quitting Twitter yeah I, I don't know. you know he's not on Twitter anymore yeah. because someone some might say because of his treatment of uh, Black Widow is it Black Widow Scarlett Johansson's mm -hmm. character yeah Black Widow oh they don't like I, I thought her portrayal was fine well, and I mean, this is kind of a criticism I have of all of feminist criticism. What if someone wants a simpler life? Like in, in feminist feminists oftentimes say, oh, you know, you need to be able to do anything a man wants. You should be able to do anything you want. You know, if you want to be president of the United States, you can go be president. You can get the, the most powerful job in the land. That's fine. But what if you just want to be a stay at home mom? What if you want something know, simpler? Think... And in the movie, not to give anything away, but right. Scarlett Johansson does long for a simpler life. You're not necessarily responding to Carol's comments. You're responding to the bigger controversies surrounding Black Widow. Yeah, because I don't think she Josh really Wheat. said. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think she said anything. But about that. there She's was another sexism. part, and we don't want to get into that because that's right. spoiler too. Right. But she got the quote wrong. Yeah, I know. You sent me the thing. I'll, yeah. I'll share it with her when I see it. But. I, I would like to hear her response to Dalton's that. enthusiastic also. Yeah. Dalton's going to make sure this happens. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's Avengers. It, it's it's what I, I would think most people know what they're going to get. If you watch the trailer, if you've seen any of the Marvel films, this is just the continuation of that saga. All right. Fair um, enough. But you, you kind of... I wasn't interested. I'm, I, I had opportunities to go. I thought about we you had game night over here at uh, Flying Bull Productions Studios on Saturday, and I, I think we started at four o'clock. The Regastar was there. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, there were some other uh, Mister uh, the Koala. He's been <laughs> the, a guest the artist. Lonesome. Yeah. Um, I think at one point Steelworker would laugh our our you know the lost episodes. Mm -hmm. Steelworker, he was here. So and uh, the Megastar. Mr. Harden was here. Um, but I had an opportunity before that experience to go see the movie, and I instead decided to take a nap. Fair, <laughs> I, fair enough. I thought, I could go to the movie, and if I fell asleep, I was really tired. Maybe I go to the movie, and if I fall asleep, I won't be that upset. <laughs> but then I thought, yeah, the seats aren't as comfortable as my couch. So instead, I stayed home. Well, I went to game night, and then Sunday, I came home. And rented a Western, the newest Western that's come out, um, I think, this year. Slow West, starring Michael Fassbender as uh, a tracker named Silas. Uh, there's a character played by Ben Mendelsohn named Payne, who, uh, appropriately named Payne, who acts as the sort of foil for Silas. He's like ridiculously outfitted too. It's pretty what funny. What do you mean? Like just tons and tons of bullets and shells. He's nah. got the crosscut bandoliers. Uh, no, 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 not, not that obnoxiously. There's, it's a different sort of obnoxiousness. And, and personally it would spoil it for me if I heard someone say this about how he's dressed. So I just, I think if you see it, when you see him, it's, it sort of makes a laugh and there's a whole lot of inadvertent comedy that's deliberate but it's inadvertent in terms of the plot. So when you watch it, <laughs> these things happen, and then you're like, oh, that's great. 
That's funny. And one of the times is when Ben Mendelsohn first shows up and you think, oh my God, that's just so ridiculous. <laughs> so I don't know. I enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The main uh, character in the film is this kid, Cody uh, Smith McPhee. Mm-hmm. Do you know him? I've heard the name before. The guy looked familiar. What's he been in? He was in The Road. He was the kid in The Road. Okay. And he was in that movie, Let Me In. Okay, the, the remake of the remake. Um, Let with, the right one in with Chloe Chloe Grace Moretz, mm-hmm. I think. And then and that wasn't a bad movie, but you can see sort of a young. I mean, he's filled out a little bit. His name is Jay. Ironically, he looks a lot like Jay Baruchel, the comedian that was in uh, at, at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I guess he's like friends with Seth Rogen or something. I don't know. Isn't it? Yeah. So the whole time he looks exactly like him. So it's sort of odd to see him there and they they keep calling him Jay. And that's a big plot point. Um, His name, Jay. (laughs) Ben Mendelsohn is from Killing Him Softly. That's where I first saw him and I loved him in that movie. Mm -hmm. And he's just a great villain. He's just got a very expressive face. And uh, Brooke Williams plays the love interest of this kid. Basically, it's about this tracker bounty hunter who agrees to take this Scottish teenager to see his beloved Maria, to find his beloved Maria who is in the West and they have to head West. And I think it's around in 1800s in Colorado. Is he related to Maria or they have a complicated relationship. He's in love with her. Oh, when you say he, you mean Silas or Jay? Jay. Jay's in love with her. He thinks it's true love. He he and he wants to act on the impulses that he he tells Silas that she left America because of a mis- or she left Scotland because of a mistake, and I have to go write it and I have to go find her. And he's very driven. This kid, when you first see him, the, the movie opens the first five minutes. He's just laying out in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere, and the Silas character comes along and realizes. He's going to be easy pickings. Mm-hmm. In terms of narrative or you know story, it only really works as allegory. If you're if you let your mind go and and allow it to be an allegory, then it's a lot easier film to take. It's a lot more enjoyable. Does it work as a western? It works as a western. It works as a western allegory for um, westward expansion, and then also like. Um, the what is it manifest destiny mm-hmm. those whole idea and, the, and then the impact that um that immigration has had on the country and you know on not only country but the world i guess it's very it's like a un every character is representative of an individual nationality and i was trying to go through it i was thinking holy crap was there yeah, there's a there's a Chinese guy, there's a British guy, there's a Scottish guy. It's actually the, the three, the the girl Maria escapes with her father, so there's two Scottish guys. But then there's also class differences amongst all of these different nationalities and characters. There's, and I was thinking, is there any, are there any black guys? And I was like, no, there aren't any black guys. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, yeah, there is. There's three black guys, and they speak French. So, and it's just randomly in the middle of the movie. And there's like, there's a Japanese guy that might also be an Indian. 
I mean, his name is Katori, and he looked Japanese, but he might be also be an American Indian. There's Indians, obviously. It's huh. crazy. Swedish people just show up out of nowhere. Does this compare to any other Western? Well, you know, like it's, if you it's were, if you were the doing tropes. the classic double feature, I love the idea of the double feature. Oh, I wish you'd asked me this in advance because I, I like how it it leads its, its it leads itself towards a shootout. So. Honestly, like right off the top of my head, I would probably, I would probably pair it with Meek's Cutoff, just as a contrast. Ooh. It's another modern sort of Western, but uh, there is no shootout. Uh, and it's uh, a complete, I know you hated why that Why did you say that? Because when you said, what would, it, what would it contrast with? It's not a comparable thing, but it's too... Completely separate movies. Oh, wait a minute. What but I thought you that? wanted me to see Slow West. Oh, no, 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 no. It, you don't want me to see Slow West? Oh, no, well, I do. It's a contrast. Then why did you tell me it's like me? Or I you didn't would, say you it's would... like it. I said oh. contrast. You put... <laughs> the word meets contrast oh. is is really important. It, but now there's this association. Nah, I don't know. I, you can see it or not see it. Uh, There's a whole lot of reasons to see it. I was excited to see this. I wanted to ask you questions to get at the essence of this film. And now, uh. <laughs> You're taking it the wrong way. You said, what would I pair it with as a double feature? And to show the vast contrast between them, one is a movie I know that you really hate, and another movie is one that I think you would really like. I've seen the trailer, and I watched the trailer a couple times. I didn't watch I, the trailer at all. I couldn't figure out the tone of this film. That's another I, problem it has. I, I didn't know, is this supposed to be real serious Western? Because a lot of times Westerns have no humor. They're very slow. There were other times it seemed like this was real snappy dialogue and was going almost more for a comedy feel, like something like um, Silverado. No, it's not that tone at all. All right. No, it's a much more um, deliberate use of comedy that you would have to be it, it kind of hits you over the head with irony. Okay. In fact, <laughs> you actually would have to see it in order to enjoy this part of it. But there's there's this metaphor at the end, this visual metaphor that happens at the very end of the movie or towards the end of the movie, like in the last five minutes when you're like, oh my God, did they really go that far as to hit you over the head with this metaphor? And then that's exactly the tone that the movie's taking. So to me, it was... I mean, it was completely appropriate for the film, but wildly inconsistent for anyone that doesn't enjoy that sort of thing. Although Tony did watch, my fiance watched it, and she enjoyed it. She enjoyed the story, and she enjoyed the acting. The acting is exceptional. There's one part where, um, oh yeah, there's a German guy. German guy's in it, and he's in the middle of this field, whatever, and he's got a dog. Dog runs up, whatever. And, and talks to this kid. And, uh, I know Tony was past that part in the movie. We watched it at separate times. I was doing some work in the kitchen. She calls to me. She says, uh, hey, is this the dog from Game of Thrones? <laughs> Jesus. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, is, is, isn't that the dog from Game of Thrones? And so I had to come into the room and I was like, I don't think so. And she hits pause and she's pausing on Maria's um, father. Oh, uh-huh. It's the hound. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, that is that guy. I didn't even notice it. His name is, uh, I think it's Rory McCann. 
I didn't write it down. Yeah, Rory McCann. He's the hound. <laughs> Tony thought it was the dog. I said, you know, I'm going to say this on the podcast. <laughs> she said, yeah, that's kind of funny. Go ahead. <laughs> so, no, it's not the dog. It's the guy that plays the hound. All right. Um, so he's interesting, and he's in there. And yeah, there's there's a guy. It's you know, a lot of interesting, neat stuff. The um the cinematographer is one of the up and coming cinematographers in in England. His name is uh, Robbie Ryan, and so I think it was filmed in New Zealand. So it's got a lot of those beautiful vistas that are important in in uh, movies like you know Owing Back to the Searchers or you know any of those. Did it feel like America? Ones. Oh yeah. Yeah, it felt like a, a you know a wilderness America because it's not there. There's no form of civilization at all. So you're in up. You believe that you're in Colorado in the 1800s. So it's really effective in terms of that. So this is more like a midwestern. Is Colorado Midwest? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's as far west as it was in the 1800s. But you don't see a whole lot of movies set. No, they're in not Colorado. going. They're not going to California. Yeah. So. Well, there's not that desert. It's not the New Mexico, well, Arizona kind of stuff. There's prairie and stuff. You wouldn't know. I don't ever. I don't know if they ever say it's Colorado. And then that's part of the allegory. They're like, "Where are you headed?" Well, we're headed south. You know, we're headed west. We're going north. Whatever. Any idea what year this is supposed to be set in, or roughly? Eighteen hundreds. I know that's kind of. <laughs> I really that, don't that, know. That's pretty wild. No, I would say before eighteen forty nine. Ooh. Well before that, because it's... I so mean, the early days of westward expansion. Yeah. And then it becomes a... It's it's a plot point in the sense that, you know, the Indians are getting run out. I mean, that's an element in it. Uh, there's a... They do mention Union soldiers, though. Huh. But I'm not sure if they mention Union. I don't even know if Union... I don't know if it's a Civil War thing. I really don't know. I, you know what? I don't know. I mean, they're just, I yeah, there are some changes that happen in Westerns based but, on where in the 1800s I don't you're think placing that those, them. I don't think that those changes are important. There is, I mean, I don't think that, in fact, it may have been a design to make it seem, um, you know, to be out of time and out of place. All right, fair enough. Because when they find, I mean, there's no legitimate way for this guy to to be able to attain his goals in the manner that they set out for him to attain it. Because it's literally, it'd be like looking for a needle in a stack of needles to say, I'm going to head west and find, you know, start in Scotland mm-hmm. and then say, I'm going to head west to find these people. It just, it wouldn't, it, it the movie doesn't set it up so that they can do it. They just, it just allows it to happen. So you have to be willing to go with it there. But I definitely think it's a good film. All right. Fair enough. So, anyway. So you would recommend it and uh, available streaming? You watched yeah, it watched Amazon, it on Amazon, Direct TV? No, I watched it Direct TV. You're right. <laughs> and it's coming out uh, this week in limited release. And I think eventually it might wind up like, uh, what was that movie, Blue Ruin? Mm-hmm. I saw that on DirecTV first, and eventually it trickled out even to Gloucester. So it it might make it to, like, between, you know, 500 and 800 theaters by the time it's all said and done. It's really big on the uh, festival circuit, and it's won a lot of acclaim, and the acting is great. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't know what else Fassbender has coming on this year, but he could potentially be up for a supporting actor role. Yeah, I mean, I was kind for of interested. coming out in May. Sorry. I was kind of interested in seeing this film last weekend because you said you were going to watch it streaming. And then I looked it up and it was $13. Yeah. 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 I, I don't understand that idea because I went and saw Avengers in 3D and in IMAX. Grant, I saw it in the morning. It was $11 for a ticket. Right. I mean, Where, you know, I want to watch this small film that's struggling to get distribution, and they're charging $13? They set a price point for it. I wound up watching it twice. Tony watched it once. It's the same. I saved on popcorn. I I just, I feel like they're shooting themselves figure, in the foot with that price point. I guess they figured that they'll get enough people, like me, who would be willing to buy it. Whereas, even if they put it down to six ninety nine, they're not going to get anyone more. They're not going to get two people. They would have gotten for half me. the price. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I was, don't understand that tier system. I don't either. But I'm not also very good with money either. Oh. So, all right. So, uh, Slow West versus uh, the Avengers Two. Uh, if you've seen either of these films, it would be great if you wrote to us at the Laugh Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, tweeted us at the Laugh Podcast or message us on Facebook.com slash the Laugh Podcast. Another thing that would be really great is if you went to iTunes, signed up there as a uh, subscriber, and gave us a review. Uh, hopefully, it would be a positive review. And then uh, that's the best way for us to get a bigger or wider audience. Um, so, we're looking forward to stretching out our audience. And I'm looking forward to the box office challenge. What's going on there now? Is it still pretty static? Still pretty static. Uh, I do have Hot Pursuit this weekend, so hopefully I can stretch my lead. I need all the room I can get before uh, your Jurassic World comes and out that comes next out month. Next month. Yeah. So it's going to be the grand. I'm, I'm going to be coming up with the bases loaded at the bottom of the ninth. Yeah. No lead is safe. <laughs> so I, I am uh, very, very worried about that. All right. Uh, and I think next week we're doing a Mad Max trilogy, talking about Ooh, that. Is that coming out next week? Uh yeah, I want to say. Oh that. wow! All right, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll do a review of Fury Red. Yeah, the following week. So uh, you've been watching any of the trailers? Yeah, they hear they're pretty good. They're pretty good. I did have something get spoiled. They they hide uh, something uh, in the trailers, and yeah, and, <laughs> and then so I I started freeze framing. You can just barely tell it's there. Yeah. Yeah. So you 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 self spoiled. You freeze for you. You hit pause. Well, and I heard I heard another podcast talking about nah. it. They're like, "Yeah, they hide this in the trailer, but if you pause it here, you get, and I'm like, <laughs> why do you have to do that? Well, now I have to see what it looks like. Wow, that forces you to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, in the immortal words of Jack Burton, just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earthquakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks at the big old storm right square in the eye and says. Give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. <laughs> so, for Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Train. Pox at Bodum, everybody. There be dragons. So this is the good stuff. Yeah. The Laugh Podcast. Number 42? Oh, does that even matter? I, uh, I, I, I wasn't sure what I was no, supposed to no, do no, there. No. I, I think I messed up. I had an idea. <laughs> oh, crap. Why are they-
are these things so hard? 